0: Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed griffin I am one of the uh, pastors on our staff here at Church on the Trail. I'm thankful that you are here. Lots of places you could be as some of our brethren are at the beach. This is the, say hello to the group of people that, that don't own a beach condo or have a family member that has a beach condo. But y'all are really the ones who love God, so y'all are here. <laughs> I know. Just threw it on out there. Let me say, we got one more announcement for y'all. I'll probably pay for that last comment, but we got one more announcement. This is sold-out summer camp for our student ministry, the 412 student ministry. Let me tell you, our students do rock, and you just heard it right there. Um, but sold-out summer camp is coming up, and so there's an interest meeting um, next week right after church. And so if you've got a middle school student or high school student, have them, have them show up. Sold-out is a great Summer camp. It's a really great summer camp. Last year, a hundred kids gave their lives to Christ. at sold out, and that's why we do what we do, y'all. And that's why I sold out. And they've been sold out's been running for twenty-five or thirty years. It's a great camp. So come, uh, come to that. And the camp is actually June. I think the week of June the sixth. Um, but the meeting, the the interest meeting, is next week. Um, you know, we have been. Uh, for several months walking through the book of Acts and we jumped out of the book of Acts about three or four weeks ago to do a, because we, we, we preach through scripture. We preach, we, we get in a book of scripture and we preach verse by verse uh, through that book. But, but sometimes we'll, we'll jump out of that, take a break if there's a, a topic or something that we need to address for a few weeks. Well, we're, we, we're doing that right now and we're in the third or fourth week of that leading up to Easter. And uh, this series that we're in right now, and we'll jump back into Acts after Easter, but this series is called uh, From the Ashes, and <clears throat> we've looked at and are continuing to look at different aspects of, uh, about the life of Christ, different, different things about Him, and hopefully we're getting a glimpse into the abundant life that He makes available to us. We looked at, the very first week we looked at His temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and the way that was teed up. In chapter 3, when, uh, when he was baptized, when John the Baptist, uh, when Jesus took the God plunge in the Jordan River. And, and then in, in, in Acts chapter 4, the, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert, into the wilderness, and, and he was tempted by the devil. And we looked at how he overcame that temptation and fought it off using, using the Word of God. And then we, uh, uh, the very next week, we talked about his incredible humility. We looked at John Chapter 13, uh, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet in this unbelievable act of service uh, and humility, and last week we dove in deep into prayer and, and, and being able to, to, to understand how to get still and how to get alone and how to get quiet, and, and all of this was, was using Jesus' life as a model for us on all of those things, and so I hope that in these first three weeks of doing this that, that we... Uh, that, that we are encouraged by his life, that we're edified by his life, and we can look at him as a model for all of this. Now, i to tell you a story, and, and, <clears throat> and I, I, I'm told that I've told this story one time before, but I'm, I, and, I, and I'm trying to search my memory banks, and I'm trying not to be redundant too terribly much, but I, I probably did tell this story, but I'm going to tell it from a little bit of, of a different angle, Today with a different principle. And you'll see that stories and, and Scripture, we can pull different principles out of Scripture. And so you will see that is my, my oldest son on the right, my youngest son on the left. And they had a power, uh, Zach, Zach, my oldest son, he's about five or six years old then, had a power wheels. How many of y'all either had a power wheels or have a kid that had a power wheels? The bomb. I mean, the power wheels is The bomb. And, you know, a little battery-operated thing, and it'll scoot along. And we lived, y'all, we lived in a cul-de-sac. And I guess Zach was about five or six, and he was in the power wheels in our cul-de-sac. And we hadn't been in the neighborhood very long and uh, lived in the neighborhood very long. And he was in the power wheels with a kid across the street. His name was Jake. Jake was a year older than Zach. And they used to get in the power wheels, and they'd zoom around the the cul-de-sac and drive. And we had another another family that lived on the left side of the cul-de-sac and they had a little boy named eddie eddie i think is a doctor now isn't he a doctor i think he is eddie was about two years old and eddie used to roam the roam the, the his front yard in his diaper and i'm talking about just his diaper so eddie's in his diaper and his sister's name was kimberly kimberly was about seven years old and kimberly would almost like be babysitting little eddie out in the front yard. And it's funny because my youngest son used to call Kimberly Kimmy and he would sing this song. He would say, Kimmy, 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 you are a bad girl. That ain't got nothing to do with the story, y'all. But that's what Will used to say to, to, to Kimmy. I, I don't know why I told you that. It ain't got nothing to do with the story. So anyway, Eddie is in the cul-de-sac, like in the street, and Zach and Jake pull the power wheels Right up, the bumper's touching, kind of touching Eddie. And, you know, he's two years old, and he's probably only about that tall. Well, Zach and Jake look at each other, and they're like, let's do it. And they mowed Eddie down. Dude, it was like the Wicked Witch of the West, because all you saw was two feet, two little baby feet sticking out from under the power wheels. It's a true story, y'all. This is my obedient son. Well, what did they do? They freaked out, and they just both jumped out and ran home. <laughs> Jake ran to his house, and Zach ran to our house, and little Eddie, if, 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 if there had been camera phones or something at the time, that kid is in the cul-de-sac with the power wheels on top of him with his two little feet sticking out. Well, Jake runs home, and Zach runs home, and Zach was Mr. Chatterbox, and he would never have come in the house and not talked to Susan. I was at work. But he came in the house, and he ran straight into his bedroom. Or just kinda of went right on in his bedroom, and closed the door. And Susan is like, hmm, that's not really normal. I wonder if something's wrong with him. What you know, what just happened? Did he get bullied outside or something? And so she knocks on his bedroom door and she's like, Zach, what's going on? And she opens the door and she said, Zach, are you okay? And he said, I did it. I ran over Eddie's in the cul-de-sac under the power. He just owned it. I mean, just confess. she didn't even say did you do something wrong? He just blurted out this confession of doing of, of 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 a sin that he had run this kid over and I, I won't tell you the rest of the story I'll do that some other day but it, it was not a it was not a good thing first thing she said though I got to tell you this and men you'll understand this she called me on the phone and said let me tell you what your son did <laughs> right what your son did um, anyway here's the deal y'all admitting failure is tough uh, admitting confessing and coming clean. Now, it wasn't really tough for him because he just blurted it out. He just spit it all out. But, but, you know, coming clean when we are at fault, that's not an easy task. It, it's just not. And I'm sure many of you may have similar stories to that. May, maybe you haven't run anybody over. But you've got stories like that where you've done stuff that you don't even know how or why or what spurred all of that on. Thankfully, though, the stories end differently when God gets in the the middle of it. With Him, we are promised over and over through Scripture. We're promised forgiveness when we confess our sins, when we own them. Matter of fact, the name of this message is Own It. So we're promised forgiveness when we own it, when we come clean, when we bring ourselves out of the darkness and into the light, we're, we're, we're able to live free, we're able to, to, to live unburdened. And Hebrews chapter 12 says that we can lay aside every weight, and we can lay aside every sin that just tangles our whole life up. We can lay all of that aside, and we can and, and, and the writers of Hebrew, Hebrews goes on, he says, "Then we can run with endurance the race of life that's kind of set in front of us." Joel. The prophet Joel, several hundred years before the writer of Hebrews, Joel said this in chapter 2. In verse 12, he starts. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, he says, return to me with all your heart. Return to me. He says, with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. And, and you know, J- Jews then in that culture, in mourning... And in moaning and groaning and, 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 and in weeping, when he says uh, not to rend your garments, it's because they would tear their sleeve. If somebody died, they, they would rend, they would tear their sleeve. He said, no, no, no. He said, it's your heart. It's not, it's not that. It's not some outward thing. He says, it's your heart. He says, return in the latter part of verse 13, return to the Lord your God for he is, you know, why are you going to rend your hearts? Why are you going to return? Well, we're going to return to the Lord because he's gracious. And he's merciful, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Y'all, so confession is the fourth topic in this walk uh, through From the Ashes, this little series, in this journey towards at least beginning to understand the abundant life that Jesus promises. Now, obviously, Jesus lived a sinless life, so we're not going to see any examples uh, of his life that involve sin or that includes sin, but it is because of his sinless life. It is because of his his humility and his servanthood and his and his his sacrifice that we can experience the really the unrestrained forgiveness of the Father over our sin. I said this in week one, three or four weeks ago. I said, and if you didn't write it down then, write it down today. I said that no one, no one, no one is broken beyond repair. It don't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It doesn't matter how you walked in that door this morning if you're here. It doesn't matter what you did last night if you're at home watching. There very well may be consequences to the junk that we we do. But in the relationship with our Heavenly Father, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody is broken beyond repair. And so Jesus is the reason that we can confess and experience 100% complete, total, absolute forgiveness in our lives. Authentic forgiveness, genuine forgiveness. Really, if you think about it, it's shocking. Grace is shocking. And the grace that wraps up, or the grace that forgiveness is wrapped up in, it, it, it really is amazing because it really doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. And it, and it typically flies in the face of what we, what we experience out there in life. It flies in the face in the way, probably, the way that, that we were raised. It's a different response to, to wrongdoing, probably, than the way that you were raised, And so today we're going to follow the story of a prideful, pig-headed, arrogant son and his journey from, from a bucket of ashes into the arms of his father. This story is probably where many, maybe even most of our stories begin. And it begins with this. We have somehow or the other been deceived. We're deceived that we know how to run our lives, and that we know better than God knows. It's a major deception of the devil, and he is running around, prowling around, trying to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's a deceiver, and he's been a deceiver from the very beginning, and he's pretty good at what he does. I've said that many times. He's been doing it a long time, and he's pretty good, and he will deceive us into thinking that we know better everything than what the Lord knows. And so we take everything that, that the Lord provides for us, everything that has been given to us, and we waste all of that, live in however it is that we think we want to live, doing whatever it is that feels, quote, good in the moment. We double down on bad decisions. We hurt ourselves. We hurt the people that are around us in the process. End of it all, we squander it all. That's your first little bullet point today. We squander it. It all. So this story that I want us to run through is the story that you know is the parable of the prodigal son, but I'm going to take a very different angle on it because I said a little while ago that, that in Scripture and in life, in, in our stories and in, in Scripture, we can pull different things, different principles out of Scripture, and I'm going I'm to pull a principle out of the, the parable, at least part of the parable, parable of the prodigal son that maybe you haven't really thought about. So it's in, it's in the Gospel, Luke starts in, it's in uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And the, and the Bible says, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Younger, the younger of them said his dad, he said, pops, he said, give me my share. Give me what's coming to me. Give it to me. It's mine. Give it to me. Give, what, give me what's coming to me. And so the father divided the property up between the two sons. Verse 13 says not many days later, the younger son gathered all his stuff, took a journey, went away, took a journey into what Scripture says is a faraway country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He said, give me all my stuff. And he hits the road and he squanders it all away in reckless living. That word for reckless living in the the Greek is only used one time in the New Testament and it's right here. And it describes... An absurd, insane, extravagant, wasteful lifestyle. And it probably seemed to him like the thing to do at the time. He was only spending, quote, what was rightfully his. It was rightfully his inheritance. Now, obviously, really, just like it is today. Most cases, the son would not have received. The inheritance until the father's death. Although fathers sometimes would divide it up early and retire from managing their estates, and the younger son really would it would have been split three ways. And the older son gets two-thirds because he gets a double portion, the younger son gets one third. But it usually happens on the other side of the father dying. What is unusual, but sometimes it doesn't. But what's unusual unusual about this. Younger son is that he initiated the discussion of splitting up the estate. He went to his dad and said, Give me my money. Give me my money. So, right off the bat, that shows this big time arrogant disregard for the father's authority as the head of the household. So, the son is starting all this off prideful, big headed, and arrogant. But eventually, like most all of the time that it does. The money runs out. He squandered every bit of it. Words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, in verse 6, he says, All we, like sheep, all of us, have gone astray. He says, we have turned, every one of us have turned to his own way. Because we think that we know better. We think that we can handle our stuff better. We don't need anybody else but ourselves. Praise the Lord, that's not the end of the prodigal story and it's not the end of of any of our stories as well. Verse 14, and when he'd spent (coughs) spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. There's a shocker. Verse 15 says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him of all the places, sends him into his field to feed Pigs. Grossest, nastiest animal for a Jew to be anywhere near. And so he's working in pig slop with pigs. Verse 16 even tells us, verse 16, that it's even worse than that. Because he's, it says he was longing just to be fed with some of the pig food. Not even the pig, but the pig food. And the end of verse 16 says that nobody gave him anything. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, praise the Lord, that he came to himself. And he said, how many of the guys that work for my dad, they got more than enough food, they got more than enough bread, and here I am sitting here dying, starving to death. And he says, you know what, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. He came to himself, right, remember? Verse 18 says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, Dad, I've sinned. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. He said, just give me a J-O-B. Just treat me like one of your hired servants. And verse 20 says, and he arose and he came to his father. Y'all, there needs to be a time where we just come to our senses, where we realize that our lives will never, ever be what our life was meant to be apart from the Father. My prayer is that none of us have to get that deep in the pit, that none of us have to lose everything, that none of us have to have a life that is just shattered or to have dreams that are just, just reduced to a pile of ashes. The good news is this, though. We all have choosers. And we are able to make the decision to turn and go home. Every one of us. You can make the decision to turn and to head home. That's what he did. Now, some of us got to come sometimes. Some of us are hard-headed. Definitely. Y'all, some of us had this idea that we do know better. Then everybody we know better. Sometimes we got to come to the end of our worth and we feel unworthy. We feel unworthy. And c- nobody can tell you how to feel. You're going to feel like you're going to feel. I mean, I can't tell you not to feel a certain way and this often when we get in the pit, in the bottom of the bucket, we feel unworthy and we realize when we come to our senses we'll realize that in Christ alone, we are declared worthy before the Father. We are declared justified before the Father. We are declared in a right relationship with the Father in Christ alone. Y'all, and it's not based on anything that you can do. And it's not based on anything that you can't do. It's not based on anything that you do or don't do. It's based on Him. It's based on who He is. It's based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. We bring nothing to that table. So so we don't... On on the positive side and the negative side. So it's not based on us. What a glorious truth. Because if it was based on me, thump me off the planet into hell right now. It's not based on me. It's based on Him. That's one of the most glorious truths in all of Scripture. And so the younger son... In a foreign land, he reaches his end. Look at the confession, and I never really noticed this in, until really studying this passage. He's practicing the confession. Because he's saying, this is what I'm... It's like he's talking to himself. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to my dad. And he's practicing this confession. And what is it? He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. And he, because he recognizes the depravity of his life. And he understands that his sin not only touches his earthly father, but it touches his heavenly father. You can almost hear him running it through in his head over and over and over. This is what I'm going to tell him. This is wallowing in the pig stuff. And he's running over in his head. This is what I'm going to do. This is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my dad. And I'm going to tell him I'm sorry, how sorry I am. He's practicing and he's planning this out to tell his father that he's sorry. He wanted to repent of the selfishness and the arrogance and the pridefulness that had sent him off, sent him away. The selfishness and the pridefulness and the arrogance that spent all the money that his father had set aside for his future. Even if it meant going home and just working, being a hired servant in his father's house. He would return home to say all of this to to his dad. He'd return there to confess, to repent, to beg forgiveness from his father. He's going home to own it. That's what he's doing. He was practicing it in the pig junk. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to own it. I'm going to own my, my stuff. Verse 20 continues on. It says, but while he was a still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son, he'd been practicing. You can almost, like if it was a movie, you can see the son walking home and he's just saying it over and over and over in his mind. And then here he is, and the father sees him a long way off, and he runs, he embraces him. And, he's, and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him. He didn't even get a chance to tell him, I want, to, I want a JLB. He didn't even get a chance to say to him, Just let me, just treat me like one of the guys that were. No, the father interrupted him. And the father said to the servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. And they're partying and they're celebrating. Because what was dead is now alive. Richard talked about that when he he teed up that first song we sang. What was dead is now alive. What was lost is now found. So he's alive again. The scripture says alive again. This is one of the most beautiful scenes of compassion anywhere in all of the scripture. The younger son reaches rock bottom. He's deep in the pit, and he turns, and he heads home. But even while he's still way out there, the father sees him and comes out to meet him. And you can almost hear the son's muffled sort of apology coming through the sound of this father's hug. It's like the son puts his face in the cleft of the father's shoulder and neck. And he's just, he's just, Dad, I'm so sorry. He's got humility and and confession and willingness to, to return home after losing everything. It says a lot that there's a little spark. Somehow there's a little spark still in there. And yeah, he's physically starved. He's in a foreign land, wallowing in a bunch of pig junk, starving to death. Yeah, yeah, he, by now he had nothing. Every, everything was gone. He's in the bottom of the pit, right? He's drowning in nothingness because that's what he had. It's what every one of us, y'all, we bring nothing to the table of salvation other than the sin that makes it necessary. That's what we, all of us Bring to the table. So the abundance of food and mercy and grace and compassion and warmth and the love of the Father's house is calling him home. How many of us need to humble ourselves this morning, confess our sin against God and and other people, and own it in return to the Father? That's our reason for existing in this church, is helping people find their way back to God and grow. Saved people and unsaved people, Christian people and people that ain't ain't ever even thought about it. Wherever anybody is, it is our mission to help turn them and get them back to the Lord. Let me jump back to verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced, and kissed him. And and the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So the son is returning to the father, and he's not really knowing what to expect. The best he could probably hope for was a cold shoulder. It's not what he got, though. The best he could probably expect is sort of a half-hearted welcome. The best he could hope for is maybe... Pops will give me a job doing something. But the dad didn't even let him say that. He just interrupted him and said, let's have a party. So probably over time, we don't know how long the son was gone. However long that was, uh, the father probably had often like looked off over the horizon waiting for his son right to come home. One day, finally his son would come walking over the, the hill. So finally he sees him, and he's far away, and the father runs and he embraces and he kisses the son, and he was filled with love and compassion at the sight uh, of his son that comes home. And he runs. And in that day, a grown-up Jewish man in a tunic didn't do no running. y'all, he didn't. That was a total loss of dignity. For a Jewish man in a tunic to run. What, so he's going way beyond normal forgiveness and just display an incredible love because he's willing to undignify himself to go after his son. And so the son begins to give him this speech that he prepared. Again, he didn't even get to the J-O-B part. And so in this in, in in this story, the the father watches and he's and he waits. And he's dealing with a human being that has a will, a strong will. But he was ready to greet his son if he returned. And in the same way, y'all, God's love is constant and it's patient and it's always welcoming. He'll search. I tend to edify that and say he will hunt you down. He He will hunt you down. And he'll give you an opportunity to respond. But he ain't about to bend your arm behind your back. He's not about to force you to respond. That's not what he does. So like the father in this story, God waits patiently for his people to come to their senses. Often, we don't come to our senses until we are at the bottom, bottom of that pit. So clearly, God's love reaches out to sinners... Who confessing and repenting of their sin run to Him for forgiveness. When we do that, we can be assured of a warm welcome, regardless of what the sin is. Doesn't matter what the sin is, the Father is waiting for you. Confess and repent and go to Him. He's been watching for years. To see you coming up over that hill. I want to call. A, we're going to do something a little different today. I want to call up one of our elders, Lynn Ornstein. <coughs> Did you hear I said that? Lynn Ornstein. That's what my phone says. Um, but I want, to, I want to ask him to come up. And just I want to share. I want him to share a little bit of his testimony. A little bit of when the father saw him coming up over that, over that hill. Thanks, man. Bar stools are tough for short people. <laughs> and he ain't Will Chamberlain either. Um, so really y'all meet Lynn Orenstein if you don't know him. Morning, um, all. And I just just where were you born?
1: Um, I was born in New York. So um Does
0: that shock y'all? <laughs> he don't talk like me. He would of course say that I don't talk like him. No. Well, I talk
1: right and then there's the rest of you. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> So you're born in New York. Yes. What borough? Um, Manhattan. So okay. I was actually born, um, in Bellevue Hospital. Um, well, tell us just, a little bit about that childhood. Yeah, and I, and I will. And, um, just so you know that shortly after I was born, they changed that ward that I was born in into a psych ward, just so you have some <laughs> kind of background. And I'm not sure if there's any tie in there or not, but anyhow. <laughs> so, um, my mom and dad obviously got married, had me as a child. And, um, when I was about three years old, um, my dad got into some trouble. My biological father got into some serious trouble. He ended up going to jail for several years. I don't really don't know how long um, that was. I never met the guy. I could probably wa- run him over in the street and wouldn't know who he was. Um, so he just left. He was out of my life. Um, had, had nothing to do with me. Um, my mom got remarried when I was about six years or so. And um, shortly after she got married, um, just about the time I had turned seven, um, she gave birth to my stepmother, my stepsister, Margie. And um, during that pregnancy, um, she had some complications and passed away. Okay. Um,
0: so now your dad's in jail, and mom
1: gone, Dad, Okay. Right. Um, so the man that she remarried um, adopted me during that process. You know. Um, when they first got married, that's kind of the way they did things back in those days. Um, adoption was pretty quick afterwards, um, and so he took me in, and me and my stepsister, and him went to live with another lady, which he ended up kind of hooking up with, and then getting married to. Um, so
0: now you got a stepdad and a stepmother mom, who literally has no connection, no new stepmom, connection, no connection to anybody in the family
1: whatsoever. Roger. No connection. All right. And my stepdad was an alcoholic. Um, I would Now, I am a huge Giants fan. Most people know that. And this is probably where it comes from, but it's kind of twisted. I remember my father sitting and watching the Giants game. And this is when they stumped really bad. And he would actually throw beer cans at the TV. And it was a little tiny black and white TV. Right.
0: And you were probably the remote control for the TV.
1: Yes, right? right. And, Raise and your and so, hand
0: if you were a remote control for you There you go. I, and I
1: also <laughs> fixed the antenna and did all that stuff, right? Um, and, and so that, that anger was just portrayed from time to time, so right? So
0: your biological dad is in jail for, for drugs?
1: I believe so, yeah. He was in jail, jail for, for drugs and some other stuff and that I really do And the stepdad's an alcoholic. My dad's, my stepdad's an alcoholic. Right. Um, drinker so to speak. I don't know that he would have called himself an alcoholic, but I don't well, think I'm sure that much right. Um So when I was about 10 years old or so, um, I went to Puerto Rico. My my grandparents on my mother's side, on my biological mother's side, were Puerto Rican, and um, we had relatives down there. So I went down there for a two-week stay and ended up staying this summer. And when I came back in August, just before school started, my uncle, who was married to my mother's sister, I hope you guys are taking notes because there's a timetable and a (laughs) test after all this, right? Um, married to my mother's sister, picked me up at the airport, and I remember it clearly, an old VW Bug, so if you guys ever knew what a VW Bug was, they were cool cars, right? Um, Well, he picks me up, and while we're driving from LaGuardia to uh, Jamaica, Queens, where he lived at, where they lived at in a, a, I think it was a one-bedroom apartment. Tells me that my step parents, my stepdad and my stepmom, have decided that sometime in the very near future they would be moving to Arizona with my half sister, and I would be now living with my aunt and uncle. Okay. so my background so they just gave you. Up. Yeah, basically. I mean, I saw them. I think it was once or twice afterwards. I saw them just before they were leaving, and then maybe once, you know, prior to that, they left in I think October or November. Um, so I went to live with my aunt and uncle, um, who eventually adopted me a, about a year or so later. Um, but my viewpoint of a father was non-existent. I mean, I had absolutely no idea, right? And my dad, my stepdad, um, the one that I actually call my father, good man. Your second solid stepdad. Second one, right. right. So two stepdads, two stepmoms, right? Um, and my stepmom was my sister's. My mom's sister. Um, You know, my idea of a father was non existent. Okay? And so a lot of times we talk about, you know, God is your heavenly father. Well, when I compared that, my picture was I'm rejected. I'm no good. um, There's nothing I could do. Nobody loves me. And I know that my stepmom, my second stepmom, and my second stepdad loved me and cared for me. and and tried to do everything that they could. But my picture was, for the first 12 years of my life, was I'm no good, right? And so I spent the next 30, the next maybe 18, almost 20 years, you know, doing everything I could and searching for everything, but not searching for God. I mean, I was started drinking when I was in high school as a freshman, Um, I was running track, so I, I could I would go out to the senior green, so to speak, and down a six pack of beer and then run out and, and, and go running track, right? Um, shortly, probably junior, I started smoking and got into all that. Um, when I graduated high school, I was 17 years old, and so I waited until I was 18 to join the Navy. And, and that, was, that really set my life straight, joining the military, because I was able to get into all sorts of stuff. Like, I was, if there was anything out there that could have been taken, I took it. I was in search of what we call we used to call the ultimate high. And, and anything short of heroin and shooting up, if it was out there, I took it. Y'all, here's Earned.
0: what this is an image of. We try to fill a hole in our life with everything but what fits. Right? Right. There's a hole in there. Every one of us, if you're not a believer, you, there, there's a hole. I don't know the shape of the hole, but we try to cram everything in there, and you're trying it with substance and right. substance abuse. But God is what fits in that hole perfectly. So go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. So,
1: and, and that's what I was going to say. I was just trying to fill an emptiness. Just I knew that there was something out there. I just didn't know what it was. Right. I mean, I had no idea of what it was. Um, I was going back a little bit. I was baptized as a little baby. Catholic religion, sprinkled on whatever they do, right? Um, but religion and God was really not in my family. I mean, they, they would say that they were, but they really weren't, right? Um, my second stepmom and dad, when I was in, in middle school, which is the norm, they would drop me off in front of the Lutheran church, make sure I walked inside, right? And then they showed up, you know, when I was supposed to get my first communion, my confirmation or communion, whatever they call it, right? Um, and we took it so seriously that my grandfather actually walked out, and I remember this clearest day. He walked out, and he stops by the priest, and he says, hey, you know that wine? You got any in the back? Let's go take a couple shots, right? So, I mean, that's how serious they took their religion. And then, but other than that, never, never stepped into a, a church. At least it wasn't for a good thing, right? Funeral or something like that, but that was it. Um, so I got out of the military, I started working, um, I mean, Heather, okay, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Um, but Heather will tell you then, she, she was born in the church, but she wasn't walking. And so, you know, I guess it was about a year or so later, we got engaged and then got married. Um, she wanted to have kids right away. Me, I was like, why do I want to have kids? Because I'm just going to screw it up, right? I'm going to leave. I'm not any good. Who am I to be a father to anybody? Um, you know, it was just all that kind of stuff. And, and so our marriage was rocky, and that probably was a big part of it. Um, that and still searching for something, still doing drugs, still drinking, all that kind of stuff. Um, until I was about 30, 31-ish. And my, my older son, Timothy, was born. And he was born in March. And it, I just got to the point where it was there needed to be something different. And I did not want him to go through what I went through. I did not want him to go through a fatherless upbringing and if I continued going down the path that I was going, um, that's what he would be. And, and I tell Heather now to this day, I was leading my family straight to hell. Um, as men, whether we want to admit it or not, we are leaders of the family and what we do is gonna take our family wherever we go. And I was leading them directly to hell and that's just the way it was. So she started going back to church um as every good loving wife does she nagged me until i finally gave in and and went one day whatever that pastor said
0: and you don't really I, remember do you? and i
1: really don't remember yeah. i just knew that that was the difference
0: he probably sounded a lot like me
1: yeah no no probably not as as as, as southern right <laughs> but but just so to give you an idea I mean, and and I just want to say this up front. I mean, throughout my whole life and throughout this process, there were people that probably came into my life that I didn't recognize or know about that were giving me little bits and seeds and and nuggets, um, you know, about God and about Jesus and what that life should be like. I just didn't see it until that day, right? So Southern Baptist Church, a Yankee preacher, right, says something, and so... We're sitting in the back row, and, and I remember this day as clear as day because, I mean, the whole process was, the whole thing was just, it had to have God's hand in it. But, you know, the one story I always like to tell is, with the first time I walked into the church, first the walls didn't fall down, which was, like, amazing to me, right? Like, I expected an earthquake, a hole to open up, me be sunk in, or, you know, whatever, right? But then I'm sitting in a pew, and these two, Old ladies come up because I'm sitting in their chair, right, right, and they just stare at me, okay, and they're just like, and I'm like looking at them with, you know, with my attitude, like, okay, what the heck, you know, like, you got a problem or what, right? And the head usher comes up and says, hey, would you mind moving up a row? And I'm like, you know, like what, you know? I mean, there's 50 chairs here that are empty, you know. Go find some. So anyhow, we moved up. Preacher says something, like every good husband does. Hey, babe. I think we need to go up there. Hey, I'm already saved. I don't know about you. I said, come on, let's go up there. So we walk up together. She, she gives me that honor of doing that, and I accepted Christ that day. Um, was it easy from them? Did I have any idea what I was doing or what, was, what it really meant? Probably not. What I did know was from that point forward, there were changes. There were people that were put in my life. Um, there were men that... That mentored me throughout the process to teach me what a godly man should be like. Um, and so, 63 now, you know, that was 31 years of my life searching for something. And now I've spent 30, almost 32 years of my life trying to become perfected and, and going after sanctification, right? And, and I guess my story really would be. If he's going to save me, and, and I was a sinner above all sinners, um, he can save anybody, and he wants to. And I think more importantly than that is he will continue pursuing you. You just need to open up your eyes and your heart and, and, and go after him as much as he wants to go after you. So that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to Thank it. You very, Thank you
0: very, very, very much. You know, this truism that I said a little while ago about nobody's broken beyond repair. I mean, everybody's story is different. Everybody that's a believer, everybody that is is a Christian, they've landed at the foot of the cross somehow. But the, the manner in which you and I get there often looks very, very, very different. You know, and there you have a guy who is not modeled, really modeled fatherhood, in the most formative years of life at all. So he has no image, really, of, of the Father, like none. And so, but, but you said, God, I think pursue is the word you use. God pursues us. And, and that's, that is this picture in, in my little brain of the Father in Luke 15 constantly looking over the horizon constantly. And you know when the sun comes up over it, I got this picture of the father is on a porch like a deck of a two story house. And he just runs down the stairs and goes after him. That's the love y'all of the father. You know what is it I want to ask you, what is it that is keeping you from coming to Him today? Is it anger? Are are you angry? Is it unforgiveness? You've been living with unforgiveness for 20, 30 years? Have you been offended somehow? And if you're new to to our church, then I haven't offended you yet, but it's coming. (laughs) You know, is it shame and guilt? Y'all, that's the biggie. That's the one that the devil just latches onto, and will shame you and guilt you. But that's not what the Lord has for you. Is it unmet expectations? Have you laid some expectation on some person, some human? They're not going to meet your expectation. I've told you all before, the most poignant moment I ever had with my kids was when they learned and realized how jacked up I was and that I would let them down but their Heavenly Father would never let them down. Is it past hurts? And past hurts are real. It could be church hurts. Churchy people will hurt you. I mean they will. And those are real. I'm not saying the pain is not real. Right? I'm not saying that. But that pain does not affect whether Jesus walked out of a grave alive or not. A father who is a dirt bag to his son doesn't change whether Jesus walked out of the grave alive or not. doesn't affect it. Your anger doesn't affect whether Jesus walked out of a grave alive or not. None of it. None of the way you feel affects history. You know, so I'm going to ask you, what is it today? What can be confessed? What can be repented of? And what can be healed? There's healing at the cross those feelings they can be healed at the cross you know David King David wrote in Psalm 32 starting in verse 3 David wrote for when I kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long in Ed language if I kept my mouth shut I'm just crumbled into nothing but then he goes in verse 4 he says for day and night he's talking to the Lord right he says for day and night your hand was heavy upon me God is 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 heaviness there's heaviness there's God's working on David's heart God's there's some conviction of the Holy Spirit he says for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as the as by the heat of the summer and then David says but I acknowledged my sin to you it was heavy when I kept my mouth shut But he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I didn't cover my sin up. I owned it. That's what David is saying. I owned it. It was heavy on my heart. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not bringing you shame and guilt. He's bringing you conviction. Y'all, don't jack that up. Conviction and guilt are different. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And that's this image that David paints in Psalm 32. That's what it is. He says, I owned it. I acknowledge my sin and and I didn't cover my iniquity. And he says, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He said, I owned it and you forgave it. He says, all my guilt is gone. Whatever guilt I was bringing to the table, David says, you forgave it and it's gone as far as the east is from the west. He wraps it up in a package and throws it into the abyss. That's That's what forgiveness is. That is what forgiveness is. So it's like, what do, we do with, what do we do with this today? Y'all, when the wayward son returns home, he apologized to his father, begs his father for forgiveness. The father loves him, but the son needed to apologize to, to his dad. When you have offended somebody, don't apologize indirectly. Don't apologize half-heartedly say it and mean it let your kids see you apologize you, when you, if you make a mis- no, when you make a mistake don't blame bad luck bad circumstances or bad friends you made the mistake Zach was sitting in the power wheels with Jake Zach's foot was on the pedal <laughs> not Jake's foot Zach had to own it because he's the one that hit the gas pedal. Y'all when you when you're embraced by those that you have hurt don't refuse the forgiveness that they offer you. That guilt will wreck your recovery. Don't don't do that. When you're forgiven accept the gift of forgiveness and then move down the road and if you have forgiven somebody this is a huge thing if you have forgiven somebody don't drag that junk back up don't do it husbands and wives are so good at doing that don't be dragging stuff back up what if the Lord drug all of our stuff back up when I left it at the foot of the cross I left it at the foot of the cross what if God whispered in my ear five years after I got saved remember what you did back then remember what you did that's not what he does he models that for us y'all don't do that to your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter or your mom or your daddy or your friends don't drag stuff back up forgiveness is forgiveness we are washed clean and all of that happens at the foot of the cross it happens at the altar of the cross and y'all if you've never like if you've never said yes to that and I mean really said yes and if you've really understood as best you can and accepted the forgiveness that he offers I'm begging you to do that today and if you may have gotten saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago but you still got a bunch of stuff on you, today, just come right there and leave it. And leave it for good. Don't ever think about it. Don't bring it up. Just leave it because that's that's what he wants us to do. And that, like when you can do that, that abundant life that Jesus offers, you can live that abundant life. So that cross is not just for lost people. This cross is not just for somebody to come in and say yes to the offer of salvation, although it is there for that. It is for believers who have real struggle. You get saved, it doesn't mean struggle goes away, does it? Raise your hand if you've had a struggle in the last six months. Leave it right there. Leave it. So y'all let me pray. Lord, my prayer today is that, that we would become an unburdened people. Lord, that anything that is burdening us, anything that is impeding our walk with you, if, if, if we already know you, Lord, that we would come up and we would leave it right there. Lord, because you you can handle it. The image of the Son tucking his face in the cleft of the shoulder of the Father. Lord, I know that's what you want. And so, Lord, my prayer is that we, would, that we would leave all of that at the foot of the cross. And, Lord, for people that don't know you today, Lord, I, my ask is that they would consider that offer that you make, that they would like the prodigal son here, this younger son, that, that they use their chooser and turn away from it and turn towards you, that they would own their sin, and then give it to you at the cross. Leave it at the altar. Lord, that they would repent and confess and believe crowd, and that you would save them. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, before I turn it over, back over to the worship team, our, our prayer team is going to be back in that corner. If anybody needs any prayer, And if anybody, I'm telling you, if you need to leave something here, we're going to shut the lights off and and come up and leave it here.